The king is coming. The king is coming. That's kind of what they said that first Palm Sunday as Jesus was getting ready to ride into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday, as I mentioned earlier, marks the beginning of Holy Week or Passion Week. And a lot happens in that short period of time. This morning, though, we are beginning our observance of Holy Week by remembering Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And you have to remember that Jesus has had a ministry now for three years, and finally, finally, after three years of public ministry, he makes his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. And as he approaches the city, some of the people took off their coats and laid it on the ground in front of him as he rode into Jerusalem. Others climbed up into palm trees and and pulled down palm branches and began waving them and spreading them on the road before him. Men, women, and children were, were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then they saw him. Because if you've ever been in a parade, you, you know that parade can be stretched out for a long ways, for miles. And, and you're waiting in anticipation, you know, for the floats and the bands and everything to come forward. And I'm sure that there were people lining the streets waiting to get a glimpse of Jesus. And here he comes riding on a donkey, a symbol of royal authority and coming in peace. What a scene that must have been. And as with much of Jesus' ministry, this event was foretold in the Old Testament. The psalmist writes in Psalm 118 that the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. And so this day was not a surprise. It was planned out. And now we fast forward to the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 29 through 40. And I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. So starting in verse 29. When he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany... At the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet ridden or sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent, went away, and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. 
And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There's a, a lot in our text that we could talk about this morning. But I want to focus on verses 36 through 40, and in particular, verses 39 and 40 this morning. I want us to truly grasp the truth that Jesus is worthy of our praise. I, I know we come every Sunday morning to worship him. But do we truly understand and grasp the gravity, the privilege, the responsibility, the weightiness of our praise to God, our praise and worship to God? Jesus is worthy of all our praise. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word to us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would encourage our hearts, that we would not only be people of the book, but that we would be people of praise. That, Lord, we would not hold back anything, but that we would gaze upon you, see you in all your beauty, all your glory, all your majesty and splendor and power, and that we would give you the glory that is due your name. So, Holy Spirit, be our teacher here this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the morning's message, in case you're interested, is Don't Be Silent. I think you can figure out where I'm going with that. But I want us to explore the privilege of praise as it is revealed to us in our text this morning. And so I've, I've got five brief points that I want to share with you. These are more or less observations from the text. You can go elsewhere in Scripture to see it, but I think we can see it here. And it's important for us to grasp if we are going to worship Jesus as he deserves. And so the first observation is simply this, that joyous praise is always a fitting response to the person and power of Jesus. It's always a fitting response. The multitude of his disciples have gathered here together on the road to, to Jerusalem. And those who are present not only heard of the great things that Jesus did, but they saw them. They, they just recently saw and heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. They saw people who were sick healed. Water had been turned into wine. The masses were fed with a few loaves and a few fish. Demons were cast out. And many of the people that gathered here on this day had witnessed these things. 
They were eyewitnesses of the person and the power of Jesus. They heard him teach and preach as no one had ever done before. And they all began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all that they had seen and heard. And I, and I wonder, do we? Because God has done some marvelous things for us in our lives. Do we praise him? Jesus is not only worthy of joyous praise, according to this text, he is worthy of loud, joyous praise. That's the first observation, that joyous praise is always a fitting response to the person and the power of Jesus. But joyous praise is really nothing but a byproduct of God's grace. We see that too in the text because all that Jesus said and all that he did, including all of the miracles that the people had witnessed, was a, was a sheer act of grace. Everything that Jesus said and did for the people was an act of grace. Jesus didn't have to come to this sin-filled world. He didn't have to heal people. He didn't have to suffer be ridiculed, endure hardship, be persecuted, be beaten, and ultimately crucified. But he chose to come to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, our God is a God of grace. He gives to us what we do not deserve. And he gives good gifts to his children James tells us as much in James chapter 1. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, grace is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek charis, and it literally means gift or favor or kindness. So when we talk about God's grace, we're talking about his unmerited favor. We're talking about undeserved kindness. It is getting something that we don't deserve. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace takes it a step further. It's in getting something that we don't deserve. All that we are and all that we have is a byproduct of God's grace. Our very existence is a gift from God. I read the other day that I think we take, I think it's 23,000 breaths a day. I'm, I don't know, it seems kind of small to me, but, but even if, it, if, if that's accurate, you got 23,000 to give the reasons to give praise because you're not guaranteed your next breath. And yet God gives it. Our bodies, our minds, our talents, our abilities are all gifts from God. Salvation is a gift of God to those who will receive it. God's word, his spirit, his church are all gifts of grace. And that's why it makes no sense for anyone to boast as if somehow they were able to attain these things. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians and tells them as much when he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you have received it, why then do you boast as though you have not received it? It's a good question. It's foolishness in our, our part to take credit for something that God gave to us. Rather, we, we ought to live giving thanks to God and praise for the manifold, manifold grace of God. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 writes, and he says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Catch this, verse 6, to the praise, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trans trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Everything that we have comes by God's grace. In God's Grace prompts our heart to respond in praise, in worship. And Jesus' disciples here rejoiced and praised God. Why? For the mighty works that they had seen. They were the beneficiaries of God's grace. They had no option but to praise God. Another observation that I've made in our text is that joyous praise is really a reflection of what is in our hearts. See, praise is the antithesis of pride. It really requires humility when you think about it. For in it, we are acknowledging the mercy and the grace of God in our lives. We are repudiating, repudiating our own self-effort our own self-righteousness, and we are acknowledging our dependence upon God. And when our hearts are filled with gratitude for all that God has done, joyous praise will naturally flow from our lips. John MacArthur said that the music of praise arises out of a fixed heart, a heart settled on God. And it's just not the praise that we do on Sunday mornings when the instruments are playing, but it's the praise that should be on our lips 24-7. Charles Spurgeon said, a rejoicing heart soon makes a praising tongue. See, it's, it's, it's all a matter of what's in here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what fills your heart? If it's not filled with a, a knowledge of, of who Jesus is and, and what he has done for you, then you will lack gratitude. You, you will have nothing filling your heart and therefore praise will not flow from your lips. But for those of us who know Christ, who have received his abundant mercy and his abundant grace and have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms... Oh, what a privilege we have to praise God. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The fourth observation that I made in this passage is that 
Joyous praise will draw the ire of the incredulous. You see that in verse 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Clearly they weren't on board with all the praise that they were hearing. You see, when God's people erupt in praise and they, they begin to rejoice in who he is and what he has done for them, um, they will undoubtedly draw the ire of the incredulous. Those who refuse to give praise to God. And usually they fall into two camps, two groups of people. Um, you have the irreligious and the religious. You don't have to spend a whole heck of a lot of time with the irreligious because you don't expect them to praise God. These are people who pride themselves on not being religious. They view God as being a crutch. They, they, they mock those who believe in God as being unintelligent or at the very least unenlightened. And it's no wonder that to them, praise and prayer are just a waste of time. It's the religious that we have to contend with most often. They're represented by the Pharisees here in our text. This group of people were Jesus' main antagonists throughout his entire ministry. And Jesus referred to them as blind guides, whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. They prided themselves on their Bible knowledge, and yet they missed their Messiah. They failed to recognize Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And even now, three years of ministry have gone by. Miracles upon miracles, testimony upon testimony, yet they still refuse to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And in their eyes and in their ears, everything that they are seeing on this day, everything that they're hearing is nothing but blasphemy. Their unbelief was only intensified by their envy and jealousy of Jesus. Here was this upstart preacher. He had no pedigree no formal theological education, and yet he is being welcomed by, the, by a multitude of people into the city of Jerusalem. He is being proclaimed king of the Jews, the son of David, their Messiah, and the Pharisees were powerless to do anything about it. And so they did the only thing they could do. They went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Tell them to stop this. It's wrong. And Jesus responds simply in verse 40 by saying, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What exactly does that mean? What did Jesus mean by that? Did, did he mean that the stones would literally, you know, crack a smile and start singing praises to God? I don't think so. I suppose God could make it happen, but I don't think so. I, I think this is a, a proverbial statement, not to be taken literal. It's, it's poetic, and it's startling in its imagery. 
And throughout Scripture, you see this type of imagery used over and over, especially in the Old Testament. For instance, in Isaiah 55, we read, and just listen to these words. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Don't you just love that imagery? Psalm 148, another powerful passage. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all depths. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all the hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens, together old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. John Calvin said that there is not a corner in heaven or on earth where God is not praised. This place should be no exception. Our homes should be no exception. Our cars, our workplaces, our backyards, our front yards, wherever we go, we should praise the Lord. Everyone and everything was created to bring glory to God. And when, this is the amazing thing about it, when you think about it, how, does, how do the sun, moon, and stars do all of this stuff? Well, I believe that when creation does what it was created to do, God is glorified. God created the sun to shine, the moon to reflect, the stars to twinkle. He created the, the trees to, to grow up and to, and to provide shade. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There is a purpose behind all of God's creative works. And when all creation does what it was created to do, God is glorified. And when we do what we were created to do, God is glorified. And we were made to glorify him. That is our purpose. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when Jesus says, I tell you, if these, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What he is saying is, is and, and it, would be, it would be an act of hubris if it was anyone but Jesus. But what he is saying is, is that he is worthy of all praise. There's no need to refrain from doing it. The disciples were, were right in praising him. And if his disciples were to cease to praise him, the stones would do it in their stead. Again, I, I, I've just enjoyed this past week reading not everything, but a lot of what Spurgeon said about praise. He said a lot about praise. This is one of the things that fits our text so well. He says, Doth not all nature 
around me praise God? If I were silent, I should be an exception to the universe. Doth not the thunder praise him as it rolls like drums in the march of the God of armies? Do not the mountains praise him when the woods upon their summits wave in adoration? Doth not the lightning write his name in letters of fire? And hath not the whole earth a voice? And shall I? Can I? Silent be? If all creation sings God's praise, how much more should we offer joyous praise to God? Make, make no mistake, it will draw the ire of the incredulous, whether the, the irreligious or the religious. Some people tend to look down their noses upon those people who are more expressive in their worship than others. And this leads me really to my last observation this morning, and that is that joyous praise is a choice. It's a choice. Notice that verse 40 says that some of the Pharisees were in the crowd that day. They were there for the parade. They were in the midst of the throng. They heard the voices resounding all around them. No doubt they had heard about the miracles. They had seen some of them themselves and many of them tried to discount them. They had, they had been seeking to put Jesus to death on account of them. And here they are in the crowd. If you can just picture the Macy's Day Parade, there's a Pharisee right there in the middle. And as people are cheering, you know, he's looking around with a scowl on his face. And the scripture says that even though that they were surrounded by this throng, and despite that all that Jesus did and said over a period of three years, and despite the testimony of those praising God on account of him, they chose not to give praise to God. Praise is a choice. It's an act of the will. And there will always be those who will refuse to give God the glory that is due him. But that's not what Scripture says we're to do. Scripture says to us, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The choice is ours. We can choose to rejoice and praise God for his marvelous grace in Christ, or we can be like the Pharisees and sit like a bump on a log and refuse to praise him. So as I conclude this morning... Have you acknowledged Jesus as your rightful king? Have you welcomed him as king and savior, Lord and God into your life? Have you made joyous praise a priority? Does it characterize your life? Well, let me give you a few application points and as we close. First of all, if Jesus is not the king of your life, um, invite him to be so now. Don't leave this place on this day without bowing your knee to King Jesus and giving him the praise that he deserves. Repent of your sins. Repent is a word that just simply means turn from your sin and turn towards Jesus 
and trust him and his finished work on the cross to save you from your sin and to give you the gift of eternal life. If Christ is your Lord and King, then my exhortation to you is to praise him joyously, to praise him continuously. And I'm going to give you three don'ts. I gave you the positive. <laughs> praise him continually. But I want to give you three don'ts to go along with it. Don't surrender your God-given privilege to a bunch of stones. Don't. Makes no sense why anyone would. If the sun, moon, and stars declare his glory, how much more should we? Those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Second don't, don't worry about what others think. Sometimes we're worried about what others might think of us if I raise my hands, if I sing a little louder or off key. Sing, shout. I mean, Bible talks a lot about shouting praises to God. Lift or clap your hands to the Lord. Tap your feet. It's okay to sway. You have to say that sometimes because, you know, I just, I mean, if, if you ever watch me up front, you know, I'm, I'm moving, you know. I mean, there are some times I want to get up and dance, and that'd be okay too, except with the caveat that we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We want the attention to be on Christ. So don't worry about what other people think. And, and in case you're thinking, well, where's that coming from, Paul? Well, it's coming from Psalm 47, for starters. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with a loud song of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Listen, I've heard some of you sing. It is a joyful noise in some cases. But that's okay because that's what we're called to do, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And the third don't is... Don't be a slave to your personality or your emotions. I'm not saying don't be who you are. God made you the, the way that you are. But oftentimes we hide behind that. Well, that's just the way that I am. I'm not really an expressive person. I'm not this. I'm quiet. I'm this, whatever. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we were before coming to Christ. I was a sinner. I was good at it. I enjoyed it. It was pleasurable. I don't do it anymore. I mean, I try to avoid that and I ask God to cleanse me of my sin when it happens. I'm a new creation, a new creature, a new species never before seen on the face of the earth. Literally is what the text is saying. We don't have to be slaves to who we were or what we were like, our personalities, our emotions. Just as we sung this morning, and I mentioned last week from Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Sometimes we have to command our souls to worship God because sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we're sick. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we're sick and tired. But we are called to praise God. And we have God's spirit living within us and every reason to rejoice. So that's all I got for you this morning. The king is coming is what they said.
And it was a fitting response to the power and the presence of Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem. But you know, it's a fitting response for us today too. For the king is coming again. He's coming again to take us home and to judge the earth. As it is written in the book of the Chronicles, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to reflect upon your triumphal entry into Jerusalem and for the fitting response of praise. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. And Lord, I, I pray that you would ruin us for anything less than your glory, that we would not shy away from praising you with, with shouts of joy, with lifted hands, with lips full of praise. And Lord, I pray that you would be pleased with our offering. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Continue to do your deep work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.